1: Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Golden State Senior Vice President of Communications, Raymond Ritter. Ray is the proverbial gatekeeper to the Warriors, overseeing all media requests and interviews. If you've ever read one of my articles and thought, wow, that's terrific access, odds are Ray helps make it happen. On Tuesday morning, Ray sat down with me at the team hotel outside San Antonio to discuss his career path the importance of storytelling, fielding meteor quests for, for an NBA dynasty, and much, much more. Ray, we're here outside of a beautiful resort outside of San Antonio, Texas, where the Warriors have a game tonight against the Spurs on New Year's Eve. First of all, are you going to get out of the
0: arena early enough to, to celebrate, or are you going to be working through through the new year? Uh, that's a good question. Based on the fact that it's a six o'clock start tonight, we'll probably get out at a decent hour. Maybe try to sneak down to the Riverwalk to grab either a Mountain Dew or a Diet Coke. You're a teetoler, right? You're you're someone that
1: abstains from alcohol or any sort of uh, substance, right?
0: You are correct. I'm uh, 54 years old, and I've basically never had a sip of alcohol in my life, other than the one that the outsiders made me take a couple of years ago during, uh, during summer league. So yeah, I've, uh, never had, uh, never had anything, uh, foreign substance wise in my, uh, in my body. And that's probably a
1: good thing because you have a lot of responsibility. Uh, and it's probably best for you to be, to have all your faculties at all times. Cause I know you have the type of job where you might get a call at three in the morning on a Saturday, uh, with, with, information that you need to deal with or a press release you need to have typed up or, or, uh, some sort of news that you need to, to shepherd to the masses. Um, you know, we've gotten to know each other pretty well over the past few years, It's my fourth year on the beat. And, um, I tell people all the time that, uh, the warriors are great to cover. Not, not just because, you know, the past five years, they've been so good, but because the people are so great to work with and the access is so great um the storytelling that i've been able to do on this beat uh i've been very thankful for and and i think anyone who's covered a professional team knows that a lot of that has to do with the gatekeepers you know the the pr people who are pulling the strings there and ray you know i'm not trying to butter you up too much but ray has been phenomenal about not only giving access but pitching stories and you know not we're not just talking fluff PR pieces we're talking true quality storytelling some of my favorite pieces i've done have been some of your ideas and i think that's why you're great at your job is because you understand that we all we're our job is to tell the story of the season and we're we don't need to be the enemy you know this doesn't need to be a combati- combative relationship it should be a collaborative relationship and where where did you kind of really develop those tenets, you know, where when where did you kind of learn about how you want to go about this job?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, when you talk about storytelling, to me, that's, to me, the most fun aspect of my job, um, to be able to create ideas that are different than what some other media might have or a different story that someone might not have thought of. I mean, your story this past summer, we went back to Spearville, Kansas, being a Kansas yeah former resident myself those are the terrific stories I really I sit down every year before the season starts and try to jot down all 15 16 guys on the roster and pick out something that might be a little unique about each of those players whether it's you know Mari Spellman has some interest in poetry which I know you're gonna do a story on that at some point in the next couple of weeks and and the fact that Willie Colley Stein again is from a tiny town in Spearville Kansas or that Willie also has an interest in art. Those to me are the stories that help humanize our players. Now you can only do so many stories about the rebounds, the wins, the losses, the points, and the block shots. And so I've just, I've always been a firm believer in, in doing whatever we can to try to create and conjure up story ideas that are interesting for the beat writers, but more importantly, your listeners and, and excuse me, your, your readers. And I think it, it goes back to that, I think as, as the gatekeepers of this, my job i look at my job and the job of our department is to help you succeed at your job because if you succeed at your job that means more people are reading about us more people are buying tickets to watch us play more people are watching us on tv and at the end of the day that makes everybody successful so i i really enjoy you hit you know again you talk about storytelling peter guber wrote a book a couple years ago tell to win it's like that's the business we're in and there are so many great stories Every player has a story. Every front office member with the Warriors has a story. Every assistant coach has a story. Every head coach has a story. finding out what those stories are and giving you guys the ability to share those stories. Yeah. And I think that's been one of the most fun things for me
1: on the, on this beat is, is finding those stories. And I agree with you. Everyone's interesting. You just have to find what's interesting about them. I think a lot of people might look at someone like Clay Thompson and say, Oh, he's kind of boring. You know, he's monotone. He doesn't talk that much. He, he grew up, you know, in a privileged setting. He he's, he's kind of boring, but I found very quickly on this beat that he's one of the most interesting people, not just on this team, but in the NBA. And for whatever reason, there wasn't a lot of stories. There weren't a lot of stories being written about him just because I think people were looking at him and assuming things and assuming that he was boring. But if you actually dig a little bit, you'll find that he's fascinating in terms of how he deals with people. The fact that he shuns fame so intensely to me is inherently
0: Interesting, and there's a lot of good stories to be had there. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and Clay, to me, has probably grown more on a media relations-wise than anybody I've been around in my, whatever, close to 30 years in the NBA. He still doesn't like to do interviews, but, you know, when you actually sit down with him, he is really good and very insightful, and the fact that he kind of comes across as a little different than others, that that makes him even more lovable amongst the fans. When he does sit down and and do a a long-form interview, or when he does something, that's the kind of content that people want to read about and hear about. So he, I can't, I could not be more proud of anyone that I am of Clay, just based on how far he's grown like I said, media-wise, in the the seven or eight years that he's been in the league. And he's a guy who dealt
1: with crippling shyness growing up I think people kind of might look at someone like this and assume oh he's aloof or he he's arrogant no he's he's shy you know a lot of a lot of people deal with that and he just because you're famous doesn't mean you stop dealing with that and I've talked to him about how he's tried to overcome it he said he still deals with it but he's at the point now where he can give the public address before you know a Warriors game or fill in on uh, as the guest sideline reporter or do those things which I'm I'm sure he couldn't have done a few years ago well
0: you hit it right ahead those are two or three years ago he would have never taken a microphone and went to midcourt before a game to address the fans and I'll take it even a step further when he did go address the fans this year like I try to give an idea of what to say whenever somebody goes to midcourt to to, to talk to our fans but like he wouldn't stop. He, he was going for like 30, 40 seconds. I'm like, okay, Clay, we got to have the tip-off's going to be here in another couple seconds so you can turn around and put the microphone down now. And just to see that growth and see him, I wouldn't say come out of a shell, but just see him expand his horizons more has been really terrific. Plus, like, you hit it right on the head. It's like, you look at the family he's from, his dad, Michael, who I loved to death, worked with him in LA with the Lakers for several years, you know, Michael never stops talking. Right. His mom Julie's got an incredible personality, and she's very upbeat and and loves to communicate with people. And Clay is more on the reserve side, but again, the last couple of years, he's really he's really had that personality come to fruition.
1: Yeah, and so tell tell our listeners just a little bit about about your backstory. I know you're a guy who really kind of made it happen for himself um, by just showing up. But I, I I've heard you tell uh, aspiring. PR folks your story and I think it's kind of inspiring so what, what are some of the what's some of that background
0: so when I was in uh, college at uh, Cal State San Bernardino down in uh, Southern California uh, uh, as the story goes I was going home from uh, took a night had a night course one of my early year my freshman year I believe and I was driving home listening to the Laker game grew up a huge Laker fan back with Kareem and Magic and James Worthy and Michael Cooper and and idolized Chick Hearn, the, the Lakers' longtime broadcaster, maybe the greatest broadcaster in the history of sports. Anyways, I'm driving home one night after a class, and at halftime, Chick happened to interview Josh Rosenfeld, who at that point in time was the Lakers' PR man. And the last question that Chick asked was, "You know, how, how do uh, how do kids get involved in public relations?" And he said, "Well, you know, we offer internships." So literally that night, I got home and and wrote a resume and sent it down to. Uh, to josh the next day trying to get an internship while i was going to going to class and and the funny thing is i'll never forget i stayed home like the next two days from school thinking that josh was going to call me here <laughs> here here he, he's dealing with magic kareem james worthy jerry west is the general manager and i'm sitting by the phone thinking okay josh should have got the letter today he's probably going to call me and <laughs> uh, so that i literally know, know. yeah i literally pursued that internship with the lakers For a solid two years, traveling on to go to uh, uh, Laker Road Games, I went to Seattle, went to Phoenix, went to a preseason game in Las Vegas, had season tickets up in the nosebleed seats, had uh, one of my professors who I'm still friends with to this day and age, a guy named Larry Barkley, who was my English 495 teacher at Cal State San Bernardino started writing me letters of recommendations, and and so in the in the communication I had with Josh when I'd go to games and people would would write letters on my behalf. Eventually, I'd hear back on occasion that hey, you know we don't have any openings right now. Um, you know let's keep in contact. Typically, it's summertime that we bring on new interns, so. Finally, after just pounding his door down, after about two years, I went to a summer league game at Loyola, Marymount, where the summer league used to be. You know, now it's in Las Vegas and actually much bigger than it used to be. And I walked up to Josh at the summer league and, and said, hey, I, first i all, keep in mind, it's 95 degrees outside. I walk in summer league with a with a three-piece suit on. Everybody else is in shorts and tank tops and flip-flops. And here I walk into this, this, uh, this gym with the suit on, anyways. Uh, I walked up and said, "Hey, Josh, you always told me that that summertime was the time." He looked at me and said, "Just show up tomorrow." This was on a Sunday, so yeah. I showed up at the forum on Monday and uh, started my internship, which lasted for about uh, for about two years. And then uh, about the two year mark, they had a uh, the assistant PR director decided she wanted to do something differently, and they promoted me then to be the uh, the director, the assistant director of uh, public relations for the. Uh, for the Lakers. And it was a long, you know, the internship wasn't easy. And I, again, I try to share this story as well. It's like, if you really want something, you got to put things in perspective and you got to really chase it. Like where I lived in, I lived on the other side of San Bernardino, a little town called Highland. It was about 80 to 85 miles one way from my parents home in Highland to the farm in Inglewood before a lot of the freeways were built down there. So um, I was commuting a lot of time on the, uh, on the road. Uh, my senior year of college at Cal State San Bernardino, I went to classes in the morning. I uh, would go to my internship down in LA in the afternoon, evening, if the Lakers might have played, I'd leave the form at 10 o'clock at night. And then I also had a part-time job as a messenger for the Southern California Gas Company and would go work the nighttime shift delivering mail around various Southern California gas company spots from Palm Springs to Big Bear to Lake Elsinore and so my senior year of college many Fridays I was up for an entire 24-hour period from class to my internship to my part-time job with the gas company so it just kinda kinda just leads you to 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 speak to kids and and young aspiring PR folks or whatever it is you're chasing if you're really willing to work hard you can attain anything you want and that was kinda like my philosophy.
1: And your first press conference was a pretty a pretty famous
0: one right you were literally thrown into the fire yeah november 7 1991 is the day that magic johnson announced that he was hiv positive and you know at that point in time again i was just an intern i was back at the xerox machine uh, making off xerox copies of a press release more than likely um, so i wasn't a part of the press conference making any decisions but I tell people all the time I could do this for another 100 years and never ever be a part of a day in sports like uh, like that day was. Well, have more of my conversation with Ray Ritter right after the break. So you've been with the Warriors, what, 25 years now? The, this is my 22nd year now. I was with the Lakers for about six years full time and two years as an intern. So we're probably looking at about 30 years overall in the business.
1: And in that time, you've seen a lot, just, just with the Warriors alone, uh, you've seen the Warriors when they were the worst team in the league, uh, when they, (laughs) you, you, were you around during the PJ Clarissimo Latrell Sprewell spat, right. And, and you, you've seen Steph Curry get drafted, him become a worldwide phenomenon. The Warriors become a dynasty. And then obviously they're going through probably a transitional year this season, um, What Has your approach to your job changed at all with the ebbs and flows of the media attention
0: surrounding this team? That's a good question. I would say I would hope that it hasn't. And what I mean by that is I tell my staff all the time, don't change your approach to your job based on if you work for a team that's winning 17 games, which we've won when I've been here. Or if a team that wins 73 games, so the amount of attention might be less than what it was the last five years, but I try to make sure that we never change our approach and how we go about our daily our daily jobs. You know, again, it kind of always goes back to talking about the things that you need to be successful. It's like I again I always share with my with the the, the folks on my staff that like always remember where you've come from. It's like, we're the gatekeepers of this NBA basketball team from a public relations standpoint. What what if you were a PR director for a single A baseball team in Wichita, Kansas? You would absolutely die to have the San Francisco Chronicle or the USA Today or Sports Illustrated come do a story on you. So don't let your mentality change based on if you're the most high profile team in sports or if you're a team that's winning 17 games and you're trying to think of some story ideas to get somebody to come cover you. So I would say our philosophy never really changes now. Does it change in terms of how we go about our daily job? Yes, it does. The last five years, we've been more uh, uh, reactive in terms of trying to trying to go through all the requests and help people get their jobs done. Whereas when we were winning 17 and 19 games and as it is this year, trying to be more proactive and and again be the person and be the PR staff that's trying to come up with some story ideas to help fill the notebooks and have some good stories to tell. So the way we approach our job in terms of trying to assist the media do their job doesn't change but in terms of how we go about it whether being proactive or reactive just changes a little bit based on what kind of team you have. Um, I asked I've had uh, Bob
1: Fitzgerald on I've had Uh, Tim Roy on recently a question I asked them that I'm going to ask you is uh, who is your favorite player that you've gotten to work with and and obviously I know a a go-to answer is often Steph for obvious reasons and and if that's your answer I totally respect that but I'm also curious about maybe some guys who aren't as famous you know some role guys you know maybe players that the average Warriors fan has forgotten about that that you enjoyed working with.
0: So I will give you the obvious answer right out, the, right out of the gate and say, Steph has been one of the one of the greatest superstars to to work with. The story I always like to share with Steph just to shine and show you what kind of a human being he is is we were several years ago, we were in Chicago. This is probably seven, eight years ago before he became an All-Star, before he made his first All-Star team. And we were in Chicago on an off night. Uh, it was on a Thursday night, we were playing the Bulls on Friday. And as you know, the, the TNT inside the NBA crew always announces who the reserves are for the All-Star team every year. So they announced the starters the, year, the week before. On this particular Thursday night, they're announcing the seven reserves. And we had put a big push in for Steph to try to make the All-Star team as a reserve that season. So we're all sitting in our hotel rooms in Chicago on this off night, Thursday night, watching Charles, Kenny, Shaq, and Ernie uh, unveil the seven reserves. They unveiled the seven reserves. David Lee ended up making it for the Warriors. Steph did make it. Within five minutes of them announcing who made the all-star team, I get a text message from Steph that says, thanks for everything you did to try to get me on the all-star team. Do you know how many people in this league make the all-star team and never thank the PR guy? And here's the guy who didn't make it and was reaching out to the PR guy to say thank you for everything you tried to do. And that to me, tells you just in a quick little anecdote of what kind of a person Steph Curry is. Um, so he, he's one of my favorite, I, but I would honestly say all the stars we've had on our team in the last few years, Steph, Draymond, Clay, Kevin Durant, they've all been incredibly good to us in terms of the, willing to be accessible and, and, and allowing the media to, to tell, their, uh, tell their stories. Another player who I have great admiration for from back in the day, he wasn't a French player. He was a guy scoring 20 or 22 or 25 a night, and that was Antoine Jameson. We did not win a whole lot of games when Antoine was here, um, but every night he would sit at his locker after losing by 20, you know, 20 and 62 record or 17 and 65, whatever it might have been, and he would sit there and answer every question with a smile on his face. And that, to me, is when you find out a lot about a person, is how do you handle times of adversity? That's why I'm so proud this year of Draymond green. I know you've written about a little bit is this is the first time Draymond's ever really lost in his career. He had one season at Michigan State. I think where he said they went a few games above 500, but he's been an absolute pro this year. you know, we've lost whatever 60, 70% of our games this season. But after every game, he walks up to the interview room, gives you guys his five or 10 minutes. It'd Be very easy to slip out the back door. But that's not what he's about. And again, you learn so much about someone's character when some adversity strikes. And the way that he's handled himself this season, I've been really, really pleased. And to be honest with you, not surprised because I knew yeah. what kind of person Draymond was. But to actually have the national media see that, and to see the world, have the world see what kind of person he really is, I'm really, really proud of him. And uh, but again, it's not unexpected either.
1: Yeah, that was to me one of the most interesting things once things started to go south early in the season with Steph's injury and everything was how is Draymond going to handle this because we all know how fiery of a competitor he is. And I do think there was a couple weeks, there were a couple weeks there where it was a a transition for him kind of letting reality set in and and changing his expectations and and figuring out what his role this season is. But I, I agree with you. I've been very impressed by the leadership role he's taken on and, and people talk about mentorship and things like that. But you just, as someone who's around the team every day, you can see it on a day-to-day basis, you know, things he's doing with Alan Smiley each pulling him aside, you know, and, and going over, you know, how to defend a four on three situation or, or, um, you know, Jordan Poole, when he was going through his struggles, you know, he, he purposely positioned his his locker next to Jordan's so he could help the rookie out. You know, those things go a long way. And um, I'm curious about your thoughts about the future um, because I think a lot of people are looking at, at this as a transitional season. People are comparing it to that 96 97 Spurs team where they, had a rough year after david robinson got injured and then uh ended up parlaying that into the number one pick who was a guy named tim duncan and so uh you know i don't think there's a tim duncan in this draft but there are potential franchise guys out there that you potentially would be in position to get do you think that this season in a lot of ways just kind of gives you guys options going forward that maybe otherwise you wouldn't have had
0: uh, yeah i mean you 're getting out of my comfort zone here a little <laughs> bit. This is bob myers myers job but i i 'm just in, in general i 'm really excited about the future and first of all, when you have a Bob Myers and a Joe Lake and a Peter Guber at the helm and then Steve Kerr as your coach you 're pretty confident that things are going to eventually turn around and what really excites me is just the mere fact that if you look at our core they 're all still pretty young clay 's twenty nine draymond 's twenty nine steph just turned thirty one LeBron's playing at an incredible level right now, and he just turned 35, so our window to continue to be good should last for several more years here, so to me, that's what excites me, and and what further excites me is just to watch, you know, every year, as you know, you have a different story to tell, and it's a different chapter in the book, and to watch some of these young kids grow this year from the Eric Pascals to the Amari Spellman's and Willie Collie steins and even the, the younger veterans in the Glenn Robinsons. You know, these guys have all been absolutely incredible this year. And, and to see them grow, that's what I think keeps Steve Kerr going this season. He said it many times. You know, how many times would a coach in the middle of a season when they're 15 games under 500 say, I'm having a great time this year? But Steve literally is having a great time because he's teaching these kids. And, and what he said the other day is like, giving them a chance to further their careers, whether it's here or with another team down the road. And you gotta really appreciate that about a, about a head coach. But in general, I've, I'm, I've always been a glass half full guy. I'm really excited about the future, just in terms of what we can do and the players that we have, and main, mainly the age of our roster and, and moving forward and, and how we can get better. There
1: was a stretch early in the season where Eric Paschal, the number 41 pick in the draft, Kind of became kind of almost the de facto face of the franchise for a little bit. He was talking to us every single day, multiple times a day. I felt like I was writing about him every single day, and it was partly because there just weren't a lot of other bodies available. And how did you feel like a guy who is twenty three years old, first year in the league, um, handled that type of responsibility? Because it wasn't just a bigger on court role, but it was really a big role as as kind of a face of a franchise, at least for a, a stretch there.
0: Yeah, I felt very comfortable simply because of the mere fact he's a four year college guy, uh, much like uh, Draymond was at Michigan State. He went to Villanova for uh, three years, actually for four years. Started yeah. off at Ford and went there for a year. But the fact that he had dealt with the media quite a bit during his college days, uh, played in or went to two national championships, played in one. He was a redshirt one of the other years. But he's much like being ready to play on the basketball court after playing in college for four years, he was ready for the media scrutiny as well. And so he's one of the most mature, kids we've ever had come into our organization here and and again it's there's a big difference between a guy who's 20 and a guy who's 23 and it has some of that experience of going again deep in ncaa tournament and dealing with that media scrutiny throughout the tournament each year that really really helps when you get to this level and again look look at draymond draymond was a was a good communicator early in his career as well simply because michigan state went deep in the tournament during his years in college so I, I absolutely love the fact that people were talking to him because he always says the right things. This is Eric. Always says the right things and, and very professional and, again, very accommodating. You know, One of the undertold stories of our team are how accommodating our guys are. I, I can you, you talk about accessibility and whatnot. I can ask these guys to do a lot, but it's really up to them whether they want to come through and follow through and, and fulfill their obligations. Now they're all required to. Spend a certain amount of time each day with the media, and we certainly push them to. But to have guys, again, like Steph and Draymond and and Clay and and Steve Kerr as your head coach, and those folks understand what their responsibilities are and to give the media their time, that's kind of where it really starts.
1: Yeah. And I, I can speak to that. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten to every, every story that I'm most proud of for my time on the beat has required a, a certain level of access that goes beyond, you know, just the, the scrums and, you know, I've gotten the sit downs. I've gotten to go out into the city with, with different guys. I've gotten to go to their hometowns. I've gotten to go to Mobile, Alabama with, uh, DeMarcus cousins and Spearville, Kansas with Willie Cauley Stein. And, um, You know, those are things that you really can't replace from a a reporting perspective um, and that it just makes the storytelling so much better. And so I'm appreciative to you and your staff for for all you guys do. And, and, uh, you know, I joke that you're the hardest working guy in the the league, uh, but it's not really a joke. Uh, you, I, I remember when we, we flew to China a couple of years ago, you were, I got, I got to see you sleep for a couple hours and, and Sam Amick who was on the plane was like, he, apparently Raymond Ritter sleeps. That was a, that was a big thing we learned on the trip to China. So Ray, I appreciate everything you do. Thank you for sitting
0: down and, and podcasting with me. I always appreciate it. Connor. Thank you too. It's great to be on the podcast and thank you the, for everything that you do. I mean, with the, the Chronicle and, and really all the, the media that covers our team you know, we can't tell those stories without the media and uh, without them coming in and, and developing those relationships with our players and our staff and our front office members. And so we appreciate what you do as well. So thanks for all your assistance as well. Warriors Off is part of the San Francisco Chronicle
1: podcast network. Audrey Cooper is the editor in chief. If you like the show, we'd love it if you subscribe to it wherever you get your podcast. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at Con underscore Cron and email me at cletourneau at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com
0: slash subscribe.